John. Hey, Scott. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I can't really complain. It's it's winter in America. Well, I was just going to say it's winter in Baltimore, but I think it was poetic to say winter in America, you know. Uh, and I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying um, this last week before everything gets crazy. What about you? Uh, yeah, everything's starting to get crazy where where i work um but i'm thankful that uh uh my sort of retail experience is nowhere near as crazy as like a big box store so so the the only kind of stress i get is when like a well-meaning parent or grandparent is befuddled in what to get their child a grandchild and so that's very charming and for the listeners you work at a comic book store in pennsylvania I do, yes. And I, if for people that are listening when this comes out, it's winter time. And if you're listening to it in the future, that's pretty awesome that you're doing that. Thank you. This is Popcorn Eschaton, a podcast exploring leftism and religion and film and other things that lead us this way. I'm Scott, and this is John. Hi. Uh, yeah. So what are we discussing this week? Uh, yeah, we are discussing uh, the Russian horror film V and the Japanese horror film from 1968, Kurenenko. Um Yeah, yeah I, I had never seen either of these movies. V is currently streaming on Tubi, which is low-key a very good streaming site. Mm. And Kurenenko is currently streaming on Criterion Channel. Yeah, um, yeah. So I really love both of these movies. Um, you know, V I think came to my attention a couple years ago. Like I think I believe it was restored uh, pretty beautifully, uh, and you know, like this, you know, um, artifact of Soviet film from the from the nineteen sixties is now just available for free for anybody to watch on Tubi, and I think that's great. And it's also included in the uh, All Our Haunts Be Ours uh, folk horror box set that came out a couple years ago from Severin, which is one of the best, uh, if you're into physical media, uh, just one of the best box sets um, ever released. Just the amount of content content in there is, is astounding. Um, and then, I think, yeah, sorry. Oh, what uh, were you saying? No, I'm just going to go. Uh, Kurenenko is directed by the, the great uh, Kaneto shindo who directed uh onibaba a couple years before which is probably his best known film and one of the most famous japanese horror films ever made easily i had seen onibaba i have never seen either of these films you know my my understanding of i think horror is my blindest spot Mm -hmm. when it comes to genres because it's just a, it's a genre that has not, I don't like being scared. It really messes me up. Yeah. When I watch it, when I watch a scary movie, I might have, you know, it's okay to say this guys, I get, I get like bad dreams. So 
I don't rush to see horror movies. You know, uh, when I went to see Hereditary, I was in a bad mood for a week. Yeah, that is a stressful movie. Yeah, and it, you know, I stand by, I think it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't, people really like that director. That movie in Midsommar. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Ari Aster, and sort of his contemporary Robert Eggers. But like for me, I am a horror fan. But I'm one of those horror fans that just isn't scared by horror. Um, so it's it's sort of like, why do I enjoy it so much? But I think you know horror films are willing to go places that a lot of other other films aren't. And, and I think that's sort of one of the, the joys of genre fiction in general, that they're able to explore the extremes of ideas um, in in both dumb and intelligent ways. But I think in, in the case of these two films, they're uh, both very deep and, and thoughtful films, as well as being horror films. And they're really good together. If I had got, if you you could have, if you were a programmer at a movie theater, and you programmed these two movies together, under like, countryside horror or something, I don't know. Well, I, I think people that. Thank would you. really dig it. They really went well together, and what I was saying is, so horror is a is my biggest blind spot. I don't pretend it's not. I think it can be very good. Oftentimes, horror movies are my favorite movies of the year, but the ones that I like tend to be like cerebral because mm. I'm because that's what I gravitate to. But these two are also, especially Kurneko, very cerebral. So I connected to them and was able to see deeper meanings in them. And what so my my blind spot for foreign horror is possibly my biggest blind spot. So I appreciated watching these, and I recommend people watch these. And you'd be surprised. Tubi has such a dense amount of movies, where it's often the last. It's it's often a place where you would least expect to see the movies they have, and they have them all. Yeah, you know, a lot of people in the horror community sort of complain that a um, a pay service like Shutter, which is supposed to cater to horror fans specifically oftentimes will inexplicably take down a ton of movies whereas Tubi has them up for has a great amount of horror up for free and you do have to sit through commercials um, but it's certainly a better value for your dollar if these movies aren't being taken down yeah and there's also ways to program your computer to skip the commercials yeah I'm just saying yeah. I, for sure. um, yeah so tell me how would you tell me about V? What's it about? Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, so V is an adaptation of a Gogol short story. It's one of his most famous stories. And, you know, um, Gogol is a 19th century Russian author who was very into satirizing the establishment um, in, in very sly fun ways you know usually don't think of 19th century russian literature as fun but you know he has a story called the nose where a sort of like country administrator wakes up 
and his nose has detached from his face and is dressed in the uniform of like a governor. So he wakes up and his nose has been promoted above him. So it's all about like the absurdity of how uniforms in you know Russia like determined your your reality basically like the arbitrary decision of some distant authority figure changes your your entire life. And so that's sort of like where V is coming from. It's a, a satire of both folk traditions, uh, the way um, Russians view their own folk traditions, and also of the like religious establishment. And because of that, it was ripe for being remade in the Soviet era, where sometimes a social satire is looked down upon, but because it criticizes, you know, Russia. Uh, the Russian past, it was very game. But anyway, um, it's, yeah, it's about... Dead, a... Dead Souls by Gogol is, was his unfinished masterpiece yeah. that I really like. Yeah, uh, So it's about um, this group of basically like frat boy seminarians who are on a break. They cavort around the countryside and, you know, one of them, a group of them come across a farmhouse. They sort of blew their way in. Uh, to stay there for the night and one of them encounters a witch uh, gets ridden uh, by her ends up beating her to death Uh, but before she dies she requests that he um, says prayers to her over three nights to sort of purify her soul before she goes into the afterlife and before she dies she transforms from uh, like an old hag to a beautiful young woman and it's about the hauntings this, you know, callow youth goes through while saying these these prayers. That's a very good description of it. Oh, thank you. And it's beautifully shot. Yes. Did you mention who directed it? Uh, Grigory Kropachev and Konstantin Ershov. Um, they haven't directed much other stuff. Um one of them was the production designer for Electric Germain on uh, Crucial of My Car and um, Hard to Be a God. And so, obviously, like, you can tell the production design brilliance of, of this movie. But I, I think it just, you know, came from sort of the rotational assignment nature of, like, the Soviet film industry at the time. And so it's all the more remarkable, like, how much it feels like an auteur statement that, you know, these these two guys collaborate on something you know so singular yeah i'm i'm very surprised that it's directed by two people mm-hmm. though it it's much more common now not super common that do that duos direct movies but i can't really tell yeah so they did a really good job and yeah i was just really moved by the cinematography and the music and the color the remaster is excellent it's just a beautiful movie even though it's telling ugly things yeah it's you know this is a movie that i think um it gets better every time i watch it and i think it's better if you don't know much about it because i think when i heard about it you know, I was hearing about how it was this crazy, madcap, insane experience. And that's true for like the last 15 minutes of it. Um, but the, you know, 
the first hour or so is more about, you know, satirizing, you know, this young philosopher student named Coma, um, his cowardice, um, the, the cowardice of the villagers and, and, you know, their adherence to traditions that don't make any sense, uh, their, his hypocrisy, and, but by the end, you're really set for this, this explosion of, of the supernatural that's just a joy to behold. And the way it's done, it's, it's so, like, handmade and lo-fi and just brilliant that, like, it, it's, it's just a testament to what you can do with an artistic vision. Yeah, because it's just, like... <clears throat> these beautiful shots of people and animals and a man like being possessed and coming every day to what is it? Um, he, he gets sent to the town, right. And she rises from her grave like every day. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and each day, every night, excuse me. And every night gets increasingly more spooky and yeah, it's not super high fi, but it was beautiful. Yeah, and, it was scary. And you know, um, if if anybody uh, likes the, I mean, for somebody like me who, you know, grew up in Catholic churches and around um, religious iconography, and is also a heavy metal fan, uh, there is a ton of incredibly grim <laughs> religious icons in this chapel that he stays in, and so that is really my bag. I really enjoyed that, and you know, it's there are a couple funny bits with him lighting candles to bring light and joy into the church. And then, you know, all the candles do is illuminate these incredibly stern faced picture, uh, illustrations of saints and Jesus, like looking incredibly pissed at him. So I, I just enjoyed that. But you know, it, it is interesting how like his prayers work. So it, it is a, like a supernatural battle of wills he engages in. And he's able to keep himself alive from these ghostly attacks for the first two nights, even if he's, you know, a real piece of shit. And so it's interesting to see him sort of desperately cling to um, these religious ceremonies that he probably wasn't paying much attention to while actually in the seminary. And I just found that that sort of like um, spiritual discourse interesting to watch but it may just be that his faith just isn't strong enough yeah 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 definitely yeah it's but you know there is a bit of um character building in the in the movie where they talk about like you know where do you the people are asking como like where he where he comes from where's his father where's his mother and he's like well i don't have one either i mean i presume they exist but i've never met them and it's like all right well this is a seminary full of orphans who have been raised by you know the the headmaster of of this monastery you know they probably have had no supervision all their lives and are just sort of like desperate to get by and are trying to you know do anything to occupy their minds that isn't uh, you know bible study right they're not they're not really there because of their love of god 
they're there for other reasons. Yeah. Did you, have you seen the the 2014 version of V or the 1909 version? Uh, no, I have not seen seen those versions. I haven't either. But I, as we were preparing this episode, I did research and I was like, oh, I maybe I'll watch these. Again, I I don't watch horror movies really unless I'm into, unless I'm feeling it. Yeah. Occasionally, usually I'll be recommended something or I'll see something, you know, uh, Shudder had this movie Blood Quantum that came out, Mm -hmm. I think, two years ago. Have you seen that movie? I have not. Oh, dude, it's so good. Uh, but it's basically about, well, I feel like it's fine to say it's basically about a an apocalyptic dystopia where Native Canadians are not affected by it. Yes, I, I have heard of this movie, but and I've been meaning to see it, but I, I have not been, uh, gotten around to it yet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a blast. Yeah. You know... It's just... Yeah, you're saying. Uh, you know, people, um, especially cinephiles, really like to bemoan the lack of ideas in movies now. Um, you know, because Cineplex is being taken over by Marvel and Avatar and, and what have you. But I think there is such an explosion of creativity in horror right now for the last decade or so. Um, y- you know, and even in big budget sort of mainstream cinema like the the biggest horror movies of the year were, were things like smile and barbarian like original ideas not sequels super strange movies yeah, too. yeah. and not franchises so no. and they cost less than 20 million dollars to make sometimes way less and make like five to ten times their budget so it's you know really gratifying to see them alive and well and I find this sort of commingling of spirituality and horror interesting when it happens. You know, because by their nature, horror is going to be more likely to focus on the supernatural, on, mm-hmm. you know, the world of the dead. And, yeah. and while American horror movies aren't as interested in that, I think certainly Japanese horror movies, like the the crossover between horror, spirituality, and the supernatural is like sort of inherent to the genre. And certainly with V, you know, it's a horror movie set in an, partially in an Orthodox monastery and focusing on a, a seminarian. So it's explicitly tying um, horror with with spirituality, and so I I just find it interesting and very engaging that horror can can do that. It can thrill us while making us you know ponder you know the big religious questions. Yeah, and what about this other movie, Kurenenko? Yeah, so um, Kurenenko is a movie that I've had a, a soft spot for uh, for a long time, ever since I've seen it. Like, I, I saw Onibaba in my early 20s, and it, you know, blew me away. It's definitely one of my favorite movies. 
but I, Kurnenko is an interesting oddball, I think, um, because, you know, it premiered the Cannes Film Festival in 68, but that was the uh, Cannes Film Festival that was sort of shut down by the French uh, as part of a protest. So, you know, like, like Truffaut and all his, his buddies. Um, if I remember correctly, it was, like, for union reasons, so, like, I don't blame them for that protest, but it really stifled the the reach that a lot of those movies would have had otherwise and so this movie was kind of forgotten for a while and it's also old-fashioned in a lot of ways because by by 68 you know we already had woman in the dunes um we had a lot of shazen uh suzuki movies you know the you know like mod hip Tokyo culture of the 60s was in vogue in in uh, Japanese cinema. So this is just a really old-fashioned movie, and it's you know more old-fashioned than Onibaba because there's a lot of, like, kabuki technique and imagery. It's it's very surreal in that way. Like, all that wire work stuff, that's straight uh, from, from kabuki influence. Um, but also, you know, uh, Shindo... He met uh, the his lead actress uh, Nabuko Otawa on some of his earlier films. They fell in love, and they did pretty much every movie together. You know, it's not it's a pretty old story when a director falls in love with his lead actress. Yes, uh, but for them to then do like a thirty movie <laughs> together, I think is very charming and, and romantic. Um, but, you know, she was trained at the uh, Takarazuka Review, which was founded in 1913 as an all-female theater company. So, you know, oh, wow. yeah, so traditional kabuki theater is all-male. And so its, it's founder, uh, Ichizo Kobayashi, thought that kabuki was stale and elitist, so he wanted to do the antithesis of that and put on, like, American musical reviews. And the only way to do that was to found this theater company of all women. And so that's where Otawa came from. And uh, the lead actor um, who plays Gintoki Nakamura, he would go on to become a legendary kabuki theater actor. So I, I find that sort of collision of different styles fascinating um but so that's sort of a, a little bit of uh, background on, on the film but uh it, it's and what would you what would you say what would you say about the movie like the plot yes uh so it's taking place during you know one of the many wars throughout medieval japan's history and we sort of open on a nondescript farmhouse being descended upon by a group of soldiers. Uh, the only people in the house are a mother and a daughter, and they uh, everything that they have is stolen from them. They are raped and murdered uh, off screen, and their house is uh, burned down. And we see in the wreckage, they're sort of miraculously. Um, whole, like they're not burned to a crisp like you might expect, and a cat is sort of creeping around their corpses. And for the rest of the movie, 
the specters of these two women, or are they specters of the cat, or has the cat taken their form? It's, you, it's sort of like an amalgamation of these spirits and the cat. They take their revenge on any samurai they can. They rip their throats out, they drink the samurai blood, um, and tragically, the husband of the young woman, who is the, the son of the older woman, returns home after years at war as a samurai and is assigned to find the fiends who are feasting on samurai blood in, in this grove. And, you know, he recognizes his mother and his wife, and he proceeds to have a relationship with the specter of his wife, which yeah. leads to tragedy. And, and, you know, that's also a very old trope in Japanese folk tradition, the, the alluring female specter in the forest or or in or in the snow um but in this case it i think it's you know unique that it becomes sort of this consensual tragic romance between the living and the dead and it's also just like really stylistic stylistic in its presentation Mm -hmm. and the music and the shots so as this horror horrific stuff is happening it's also very beautiful and when you when you texted me about the movie you said that this movie was also sort of about politics yes yes so uh, shindo um is a self-described socialist um he viewed uh as cretans uh the aristocracy is worthless he he defined his his this is you know, his own life, but also as human life in general is sort of like defined by what they do and their work. And he sees the aristocracy as people who don't work. And so <laughs> therefore they have no worth. Um, he, he really does, you know, uh, see war as an inherent evil. And, you know, this movie is a real demonstration of how war um, feasts on the people who are forced forced to fight it, and is just a power play for the aristocracy. And in you know, in the in the background of the story, it's really like this sort of power struggle between the emperor and the samurai who are ascendant in in power. And those those two forces are putting you know the poor at each other's throats. And so that is sort of at the root of the vengeance that the mother and the daughter are exacted upon the, the samurai. It was so good. Thank you for putting me onto this movie. I'm, I'm so happy you, you enjoyed it. Yeah. So I guess Scott, what, I guess, what did you get from, from the politics of, of, of the movie as somebody who wasn't familiar with the, the film? Sometimes when I watch movies, I watch them at face value. Mm -hmm. So I was just watching this really sad movie about death and loss and revenge. Where it's just like this dude loses his family and they come back as like cat ghosts. Yeah. And I was just like, this is rad. That's one of the reasons why I love uh, Shindo's work. 
is that he is a political filmmaker, but he is consciously telling stories about individuals and how political situations affect individuals. So, you know, when he makes a movie about, um, like, the rural poor um, in uh, the Naked Island, or when he makes a movie about Hiroshima, he's not addressing the grand political spectrum of everything that's going on. He's focusing on how these individual people are, are coping with these incredibly painful, tragic circumstances. And I think it's a lot easier to communicate a political message that way and also, you know, much less, honestly, pretentious. Like, it's very difficult to have a treatise on the nature of war in a film if you're trying to, you know, t tell the entire story of like 13th century feudal Japan but if we're just focusing on this one family and their tragedy I think that that communicates volumes to, to the grander scheme true I'm not gonna lie when I was watching it I didn't immediately make those connections mm -hmm. but upon being explained them I was like this tracks but that's the beauty of good art yeah that if if art is good, the secondary meanings are are extra. They're they're gravy. If if you are deriving meaning from a movie, you're already doing better than so much, you know, ephemeral art these days that you watch it and then you forget about it. So if you're able to enjoy something and think about it the next day or the next week or talk about it in a podcast with your friend you're already winning i'm i'm very glad that you enjoyed it so much and you know i've you know i'm just looking at my notes and you know one of the things that you know struck me about like the central irony of of this film is that you know war has so consumed this nation and the countryside and, and especially the lower classes is that you know these marauding bands of soldiers are searching out any cap any able-bodied male to you know conscript into their war and the yeah. only way for this young man to return to his wife and his mother is if he becomes a samurai like if he is able to gain enough kills and loot and um you know renown that he's promoted to become a samurai then he can go home but if he goes home as a samurai the ghosts of his mother and daughter ha mother and wife excuse me have sworn to kill him so there is this inevitable doom that is brought to this family because of war like there is no way out for any any of these characters because of this horror that has been visited upon them by the aristocracy and you know that's sort of um like a, a tragedy of the fates that you know, has been with us since like like gr greek tragedy and, and it is in a lot of japanese folk tales 
and you know as we're watching these beautiful sequences like the doom of these characters is is apparent to us but you know i think i'm rooting for them uh naively to to somehow like beat their own oaths and the the fate of the god of evil that they're praying to yeah i would not want to pray to the god of evil but I, i think i would just get too scared yeah, you know, that that's the only God that is was able to answer their prayers. You know, that's like they have no other recourse but to swear fealty to a God of vengeance. Um, you know, I, I would not want to be beholden to that God either. Might I might I read a, something from the the Tao Te Ching? Please as translated by Ursula K. Le Guin, which I highly recommend because Ursula K. Le Guin is one of the greatest sci-fi fantasy writers of all time and wrote scathing criticism of capitalism in all of her books. And I also very much relate to Taoism, so I like to reread the Tao Te Ching every once in a while. And I found this this passage to be quite resonant with our with these movies we watched. And it's called Hardness. And for people that are looking for it's 76. Living people are soft and tender. Corpses are hard and stiff. The 10,000 things, the living grass, the trees, are soft, pliant. Dead, they're dry and brittle. So hardness and stiffness go with death. Tenderness, softness go with life. And the hard sword fails, and the stiff trees felt. The hard and great go under. The soft and weak stay up. And in an annotation, by Ursula, she says, in an age when hardness is supposed to be the essence of strength and even the beauty of women is reduced nearly to the bone, I welcome this reminder that tanks and tombstones are not very adequate role models and that to be alive is to be vulnerable. I think that's beautiful. Uh, Samurai, the ghost's murderer, comes and there's this sort of performative sake ceremony before they kill him. You know, they say, you know, we are sowing our own crops. Um, in this age of war, we must sow crops for ourselves to keep from starving. And so, you know, their resilience dwarfs that of this mighty samurai just for the just by the fact that they're able to, you know, raise their own crops and, and feed themselves. And so I think that speaks to what... Uh, the the Tai Chi Ching was saying these you know quote unquote weak and soft um, people are are surviving and I I mean that in a general sense because obviously these characters are dead but only the people who are willing and able to you know uh, raise their own sustenance are able to to survive. This 
This movie clearly had a profound effect on you, more so than V, though I think you like V, but I feel like you love this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I do um, quite a bit. You know, in exploitation and, and horror, there's a trope or a genre, whatever you want to call it, of like the rape-revenge movie. and Which I don't yeah, love, obviously. Yeah, uh, mixed feelings about it. Um, and I think because there is sort of like the plot of this movie is sort of that, but it's done like in a remarkably beautiful way. Um, and you know, you're just so sympathetic for these, these characters who are doomed to their righteous vengeance. And you might think that them getting revenge for what was done to them is a good thing. And, you know, yes, but now it's, it's their entire existence. And, you know, even when the opportunity to reunite with their loved one is presented to them, you know, the, the tragedy of the fact that they can never connect to what was most important to them again you know, hits home, and now they're they're on this sort of collision course. And I I love the way. You know the the there's sort of this surreality surreality, um, with the way the the ghost characters move and the way the lighting highlights them. Um, there's this frequent motif of like drum and whistle exchange in, in the music that I think is brilliant. The yeah, the, the, just the sound design. Frequently, when people are killed, there's this sort of like tightening and um, like this tightening dissonance in the sound, and then that sort of like fades away and, and and dissipates. It's just something that like I've been I've been thinking about uh, quite a bit ever since I I picked this movie, and um, it, it's funny like what. I think when we talked about Cemetery of, of Splendor in the last episode, the idea of like layering of tragedies from different time periods like we saw in Cemetery of Splendor made me think of of this movie and how, you know, the ghosts are, are sort of inhabiting um sort of like multiple time periods at once or taking a multiple roles at once and this sort of superficial image of a supernatural woman riding a, uh, a fragile male um, <laughs> before killing him. That's sort of like what made me pair these movies. But then I, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, Oh no, that makes that's, sense. that's an yeah. actual good pairing to talk about <laughs> together. So I, I don't know. I've, the, the the various no, the various connections that these movies to, to it uh, have together have just been occupying my brain for a while. Well, I'm telling you again, like if if I if you were, I don't I don't think pairings are as popular as people think they are at mm-hmm. movies. Though, I do enjoy when there's retrospectives that are. I love curated retrospectives of movies. Yeah. When I lived in New York, Bam would do them like 
every few months where there would be they would pick a topic and then would just go deep in mm-hmm. on it and i just thought it was excellent and i missed that though there's there's a very nice film theater in baltimore called the charles that i recently saw a triangle of sadness at and you haven't seen that movie yet, uh yeah? no i have not unfortunately I think it's I think it's a flawed mm-hmm. film. Like very flawed. <laughs> I'm just being yeah. honest. But, you know, I will I sort of will take any scathing critiques of capitalism as long as they're you know, thoughtful. Yeah. And this movie was thoughtful but erroneous, gratuitous. Mm-hmm. But I also just am slowly getting back into going to movie theaters because, you know, movie theaters were inaccessible for a while in the pandemic. And then, you know, everybody takes their own time getting back into the yeah. world. So do you go to the movies often? Uh, I do. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as somebody who has worked retail i think my apprehension to get back out into the world is less than other people well yeah because you've you've just been working and being part of it yeah. for a while yeah when did you get back when did you go back to work? um you know we were only closed for a couple months so like like uh april may and into June, I think, of 2020, was the only time we were actually closed. And then we had mask mandates for a while until everybody got vaccinated. And then it's like, all right, masks, masks optional. So, yeah, like if in August of 2020, some Spider-Man fan wanted to get like six inches from me and be like, the new Spider-Man sucks. Then I was like, well, that's, <laughs> that was my life. So, so being in so a you, yeah, so you were probably ready to go to yeah. The so being in a movie theater with two other people uh, to see Barbarian or whatever that w- wasn't really uh, it, it didn't trigger my anxiety at all. Yeah, I had like when I finally got back to the movie theaters, it was like a profound experience, almost religious. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so joyful and sad just to get there. Um, and I would go to the movies more often if I wasn't working all the time. Yeah. But yeah, the the bad thing about theaters reopening is that at least around here there has been a real um, tightening of show times. Um, so, you know, what I would love to do before the pandemic was. Um, good. My local, semi-local indie theater would have like a early afternoon or even late morning matinee, and so I could go. The best. Yeah, so I could go to a movie at like eleven thirty, noon, and then I could go to work when I was closing. So I would be able to have enough time um, to watch a movie and, and get to work if I had to work late that night. And now. That's not happening anymore, and I, I can't do that. And I, I miss being able to go to my local indie theater as, as often as I used to. I, I, still, I still make it there. 
um, but it is something that I miss because yeah, you know, like it's, um, it really is a, a spiritual experience in a, in a lot of ways. You know, like I, I remember seeing, like, Ida in a theater, not knowing anything. I think I mentioned that in an earlier episode, just not knowing anything about it and being like, "Wow, that that was, that was something." <laughs> um, sure is. And you know, to be able to, just like, hey, I have a free afternoon. I'm gonna go see this movie that I wasn't thinking about going to, and and falling in love with it. And that was something special that I have not been able to do really since since the pandemic. And I've, I've I think I still go to movies more than most people just because I'm a, a film dork, but but not as much as I would like to. Before the pandemic, I saw probably three movies a month in the movie theaters and i like i do miss that but and now i'm not even close to that it is funny though this uh, 2022 i think i will have watched more movies than any year in my life um but uh, yeah you know the vast majority of that is at home some of that is because of the the podcast project I'm doing. So like, um, for movies from hell, we're gonna be doing a horror of 1932 episode, and all those movies are you know like 70 minutes, so it's pretty easy to get two or three in a, in a day if you if you can. But still, like I'm I'm gonna hit like 450 uh, for the year. That's insane, bro. And I think it's because I've I've become very cognizant of the fact that I'm just so much more satisfied watching a movie than watching TV shows. And I'm not dragging on TV or the experience that people have with binge-watching something, but I just think I just love devoting my attention for 60 to 200 minutes and having that story be done so sometimes yeah. uh, I don't need 13 at 13 26 80 hours um, and you know you, you'll never meet a bigger Star Trek fan than me but you know there, there are obviously shows that I'm gonna love for the rest of my life but I'm just it's the more I watch movies and the less I watch TV the more satisfied I am with my viewing experiences well, to to do a little plug, I'm currently co-host on Southpaw Deep Space Nine, which is a leftist episode-by-episode discussion and dismantling of Deep Space Nine. Probably my favorite Star Trek show. So, yeah, I mean, I love Star Trek, but I don't, I don't need to re-watch it as much as I do. And I agree with you. I find TV lately to be mostly, just, yeah, just so ephemeral. Even even the, the, re, the new Star Trek show, Picard, yeah. I don't really remember what the first two seasons yeah. no, were Strange about. New World is where it's at. I love Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Very good. I think Strange New Worlds is better than the original oh, wow. series. I said it. Because it does what I always wanted the original series mm-hmm. to do. 
and does it more interestingly. And that was when, in you know, Strange New Worlds is a prequel to Star Trek, the original series, and also a spinoff of, it's both a spinoff and a prequel yeah. at the same time, because it's also a spinoff of Star Trek Discovery. And I just thought when they appeared in Star Trek Discovery, it just was wonderful. But V and Kurenenko. Yeah. <laughs> as in, in closing, how would you connect these to your leftist values? Yeah, um, I I think they they both well well I think they they both demonstrate um, feminine power dismantling fragile masculinity, um, so I dig that. But I think um, especially Kurenko, it it shows the self righteousness of the upper class and as they you know destroy the lives of of the people they're using to further the, their own ends uh and, and i think that you know it it's it's so it's so obvious to us the the viewer the the tragedy of these characters but it's so outside even the realm of perspective of of the people who are c committing these atrocities. And, and I think a movie like Kurnenko um, just engenders such empathy for the three leads uh, um, and, you know, the war they're supposed to, or they're being forced to participate in, that, you know, I, I think it's it's a great anti-war statement that sort of confines itself into the lives of this this one family and, and i think um v is a sort of almost um exciting a satire as you can uh, imagine y you know it's it's a it's a movie where a character is asked well what ha what else are you learning in the seminary and he like balances a, a a, a mug of beer on his head so it's 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 very entertaining but and also aesthetically appeals to me in its um use of horror imagery and also of its you know religious iconography and, and in, in the way it takes down you know the the establishments um in general absolutely awesome any do you have any closing remarks um, you know, I, uh, everybody out there, if you got, a f if you got 70 minutes free, check out V it's free. It's great. Um, and, and if you're into black and white Japanese horror, you better check out current echo. It's, it's pretty good. And let's be honest. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a strong chance that you have the criterion yeah. channel. So yeah. just watch it. And I would recommend uh, uh, just you know look into Shindo's filmography. He has he has a lot of great left. Um, something like Naked Island is much more explicitly leftist, but he has a, a ton of great films in his his uh, catalog. Be well, everybody. <laughs>